and welcome to Voices and Queries, the podcast from VNQ Books. VNQ Books publishes remarkable writing from Germany in English. And on the podcast, we talk to the writers and translators behind our books. I'm Katie Derbyshire, the Imprints publisher, and I'm also a translator. So today we'll be talking about Madjamanes by Birgit Raya, which I translated. In our last episode, we heard from Birgit about her process as a writer and illustrator. And now we're going to turn the tables and have Musa Akwanga interview me about translating Birgit's graphic novel. Musa Akwanga is a British writer, journalist and musician living in Berlin. He has two recent books out. One of them, a memoir that surprised me a lot about growing up among Britain's future leaders at Eton College. And the brilliant novel, In the End, It Was All About Love. Musa also hosts a Stadio podcast, so he definitely knows his way around a microphone. Musa, thanks for coming on, and now I'm just going to let go and hand everything over to you. Oh, my pleasure. No pressure. <laughs> um, <laughs> first of all, Katie, thank you so much for passing this book by me, and uh, thank you to Bigot Wire for writing it. It's unbelievable. Before we get to the conversation, I'll just read out the back of the book, the blurb that I got, and it was pressed into my hands by you, thankfully, gratefully. Um, <laughs> at another event, uh, so the great Asal Dardan was reading and he passed me his book out in Vanze and this is the back of it. So just read up the blurb. Majamanis is what the Mozambican workers once contracted out of East Germany are called today. At the end of the 1970s, some 20,000 of them were sent from the People's Republic of Mozambique to the GDR to labor for their socialist sister country. After the Berlin Wall fell, almost all of them lost their residency status. Decades later, they are still waiting for most of their wages to be paid. Birgit Weyer depicts their search for belonging and a place to call home, caught between two cultures and two states that no longer exist. Based on extensive interviews, she creates three fictitious narrators and transforms their stories into a visual language that skillfully interweaves African and European narrative traditions. Katie, this book blew me away. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm so grateful you handed it to me. Um, you know, you've been doing wonderful work with your publisher for a while. And this is, the beauty of this book is, if anyone says what you're about, I can just press it into their hands. You actually gave me two novels, the other of which I loved as well. That probably the subject for a different podcast. But I've read both of them. I devoured both <laughs> of them. And this one in particular in just sort of, I think, one and a half sittings, basically. Yeah. What inspired you to to translate this? Well, the first time I came across it, was actually the German cultural institution, the Goethe Institute, asked me to do a little tiny kind of 20-page translation of an extract. And normally when I translate an extract, I just do the translation and hand it in and that's it. But um, with this one, it grabbed me right away. And I really wanted to find out what happened to the characters. So there's, there's these three characters in three different strands, former contract workers who kind of tell their life stories and I don't always in fact I rarely bother when I do those little samples to read any more right. but I had to sit down and, and kind of you know read the whole thing very quickly and very uncomfortably because I just had a pdf of it which is the worst way to read a graphic <laughs> novel yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just horrible uh, but it still worked its magic so that yeah it just grabbed you, didn't it? It did. It's funny because as well, I, I love the graphic novel form, so I'm biased towards, I'm a great fan of Joe Sacco, his work Jerusalem and Safe Eric Garadja. And this is the highest praise I can offer. This book fits absolutely alongside that in terms of quality. It felt so educational. 
Now, the thing is, as a translator, you have to bring a kind of lyrical form to the translation because it sits alongside the pictures. So how much of a challenge was it to get the lyricism into the translation that you managed to do, obviously? This is the first time I translated a graphic novel. Oh, wow. So I had to kind of learn from scratch how to do that. And I spoke to a friend of mine, um, Thomas Pletzinger, who, who's a German writer and also translates graphic novels from English into German. Right. So he said, oh, okay, sit down. <laughs> I'm going to tell you how to do it. Yeah. And he says, you need to make, you can't have anything longer in those speech bubbles than it is in the original. Oh, okay. Wow. And, and you don't want it to be too much shorter either. So it, mm. it becomes a kind of a, a, even more of a sort of Sudoku than, than translating already is normally. <laughs> Love it. Um, and so I, I had to sit down and, and the first translation that I did looks like kind of haiku because it, wow. I write every single, if you've got a speech bubble and it's written in, say, five lines on the mm going underneath each other on the page that's what my word document looks like oh wow every single speech bubble separately and it does it looks like poetry there's one particular page where a lot of different ex-contract workers are talking about their experiences in germany is just loads of speech bubbles next to each other and on yes my original document it just takes up about five pages for that one do you, have, do you have the original still? Do you have the original to work off in future? Or? Yeah, I've still got that Word document. I've, I mean, I've, I've actually, I've published a little, I'm going to write a little bit about it. Uh, I was going to say, because yeah. to have a copy of that would be amazing. It's almost a work in progress yeah. because translation for me is such a, it's a unique art, right? It's half art, half science. <laughs> there's a precision to it, but there's also a kind of a poetry to it. That makes oh, sense. Oh, yeah, sure. As far as I can see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So how did you capture the poetry? Because Birgit's style is very particular, but was there a point where you were thinking, I've got to get a voice for this, which is distinct from, it's got to capture Birgit's voice in English, but of course it's not a precise thing, is it? You, how did you kind of get the voice for what she was doing in English? One of the ways I always try and do that is to talk to the writer beforehand. Oh, okay, right. So that I've literally heard their literal voice, speaking voice. Um, yes. And so we did that and we we talked on the phone because it was still lockdown. I could, she lives in Hamburg, I live in Berlin, so we couldn't meet up, sadly. We still haven't managed it. So I listened to her. I read other things she's written. I read little, you know, she's written articles about her work, but I also read other of her graphic novels just to really make sure I understood that I was hearing her right, if you like. Right. And then, to be honest, then instinct kicks in because I've been translating for 20 years now and it it becomes a kind of magic. <laughs> yeah, so, so there, there are some things, there's some routines, aren't there? Once you have a process, a translation process, yeah. you kind of stick to it. But I'm fascinated by how you worked out what your process was way back in the day. So what Ooh. was the kind of thing, where was the first moment when you were like, I can do this now, I've got this, I've got the hang of this, how this roughly works, if that makes sense. Oh, do you know, I'm not sure I ever have that feeling. Do, you're a writer, <laughs> do you ever think, oh, I can do this? Uh, I think, <laughs> I do think this, and there are times of day when I'm most effective. Yeah. Um, there are processes, for example, I love sitting on buses and trains and wandering about. I love writing on blank white paper. Nice. I love sketching stuff out by hand, first of all. 
do you have any kind of rule of thumb frameworks where you're like okay this is roughly how I begin a process or do, do it always change I do I don't have of course as a translator I don't have that blank slate mm. what I have is I have a in the most banal sense I usually have a not in this case most times have a a word document which I change the language into English so it's all in German it's all got squiggles underneath it because it's all spelt wrong and yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, then I type over and make those squiggles go away uh, so I'm kind of overwriting quite literally um, and it gives me a huge sense of satisfaction actually to make those squiggles go away so it becomes um, that's so funny. Becomes correct according to spell check. That's so funny because that's the same process as doing a second draft of a novel. Yeah. While I'm writing the first draft of a novel, I basically have a separate document. I write down all the what's the word, um, the problems from the first draft, and I come back and one by one I cross them out. And it almost feels like translation is that form of rendering. If that makes sense, you're kind oh, of yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a rendering process. Absolutely, yeah. That's a nice comparison. I haven't thought that way before. It works for me. Well, I, I look at what you do with this translation and, and I feel like it's masterful in the sense that I read this and I've not read the original. My German's okay. It's not great. It's pretty good, but it's not like fluent. Um, but I read it and feel like you've really captured the essence. When were you comfortable? When did you feel you'd captured the essence? What was the point where you were like, I, I think I've got this now? I think probably after I did the first draft and then moved on to a second draft so that the first draft usually I know a lot of translators leave a lot of gaps and write down a lot of options I don't do that but I do in the second draft change a lot of things and that's when I think I feel comfortable because this I start to feel more comfortable did Birgit did you have much conversation with her did you share drafts with her like between drafts or how did it work um, we didn't. I think I probably asked her a couple of questions, although I can't think of any specific examples. I mean, partly I kind of was familiar with the context myself because I, I don't know any former contract workers, but I do know, I did know when I was an exchange student, um, other exchange students from other Portuguese-speaking African countries. Mm. Uh, and I lived in a, a hostel for foreigners myself in 94 right right which was after the wall came down oh whereabouts was um, that in... oh that was in in berlin in kupernik oh my goodness wow right out east in the corner of berlin because <laughs> wow. uh, weirdly the east german um authorities wow like to put foreigners on the edge of town i can't imagine why that was yeah yeah that happens yeah <laughs> friend of mine uh she was in staying in jena when she came here as a translator and they put her right out in the, uh, yeah, the difficult part yeah. of Jena. Yeah, that, that happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. So you, I was going to ask as well, but how much of the cultural context do you feel was important when working on this? I think it was important that I understood it, but I don't, I don't right. think it's important for readers to understand it. I think the story works without, oh, yeah, you yeah, know, totally, you don't yeah. have to have been to east germany in fact i never went to east germany while it still existed i mm. think first time i came to berlin was 1990 and it was you know the wall had gone right right yeah and i think burgett tells the story so well no of course yeah yeah perhaps she has that kind of universal audience in mind because she she's quite an internationally thinking person she's been all over the world and lived in all these different countries so yeah well there was a break i'm going to say this actually we'll get to 
the next part of the conversation, I wanted to jump in with a quick footnote. There's something very brave about this book, I think. And I ask you this not as someone who's a translator, but who's a fan of her work. Yeah. When she begins, I was like, this is extremely brave. This is a white woman writing about a very specific cultural context. And the way she does it, the way that she folds together the three stories and you build the sympathy for all three, the way she, the texture, Katie, in this is just, is extraordinary, I have to say. Is that how you felt? How much did you feel like this when you read it yourself? I did feel that, like like that a lot. And it was um, something that I thought about, shall I publish this in English? Mm. Because there's a lot of little nuances that you only get when you read the whole of the novel. Right. Um, which I don't want to spoiler here. Yeah. Um, which make it clear that, that she's thought about it very, very deeply. And she's thought about stereotypes um, and cliche and is actually working very, very hard throughout to avoid that. Right. And And having spoken to her, actually, for our last podcast, we talked about that bravery if you like of telling other people's stories and and she also thinks very very deeply about how to do that ethically which I think works very well yeah and I, it's funny this as well because I feel like obviously this story is a composite of different stories and it's, it's based on these three characters again no spoilers but strikes me that there's a really powerful conversation or thread through the book about the resilience of women in particular yeah. in this book is that something that felt important to you and her to express in this work it is I think it would have been a very different book if one of the characters hadn't been a woman right right I think that the majority of contract workers who came to East Germany were men Mm. but there was a significant uh, number of women and their experiences were quite different I spoke to Emiliano Chamita who's who's one of those contract workers and he said you know they had different expectations placed upon them the women who came here in east germany women would have children very young and also in mozambique to some extent and they weren't allowed to get pregnant in as contract workers um my goodness so they they almost had to put their lives on hold these women right and they'd been told they'd be learning a trade and very rarely did they learn anything useful right right well this is the thing about this book that really blows me away and why i think it's so important as a story it feels like these are people who are uniquely at the mercy of historical events far bigger than them you know my my, my parents are refugees and because they're middle class they're educated they were doctors there was always a sense in which they could kind of despite facing huge odds they could outwit them somehow the really brutal thing about this book is in almost every case, these are people who, no matter how resilient, resourceful, smart, brilliant, talented, beautiful, or whatever, they couldn't outwit what was coming for them. Yeah. You know, what gives you the passion to tell stories like this, I wonder? That's a good question. I know people always say that's a good question when it's a really hard question, because it's a really hard question. Um, I think that stories help us to feel the way their characters feel. And I really experience that while I'm translating, that I I often talk about kind of slipping into the characters and the author's um, personality and, ca- and voice. Yeah. But I think even as a reader, you get that. And, and to read these stories 
it just it always makes me angry and sad and uh yeah yeah i want other people to feel angry and sad not in that order maybe they should feel angry yeah last to help <laughs> help change things i went away with this book and i think you completely achieved that with this book i went away i came away from this book angry and i had to tell everyone about it yeah i was like these people cannot their suffering cannot go in vain i wonder if was there any point in translating this book in particular or other books where you felt i'm not quite nailing this i'm not quite doing this justice was there a period where you kind of sat there for a couple of days going let me come back to this bit i haven't quite nailed that segment did you have that at any point with this book yeah absolutely there's always there's always got to be a break a friend of mine says oh actually i want to put this on the shelf for six months to get a bit of distance and then come back to it with fresh eyes i don't i never have six months for some reason um <laughs> but being my own taskmaster yeah. as my own publisher of myself if you like in some cases that's my fault i should build more time in yeah yeah absolutely the the distance is is kind of key yeah how long did this one take to translate then from sort of start to finish oh is this probably about a two months project altogether two months yeah because it it takes <laughs> that's fast that feels it took a long time with the fiddliness no that feels fast that feels fast oh, like... does it feel fast yeah that feels really sorry that feels absurdly well, quick it's not that many words that's why but it's not the words it's the feel it's yes the, it's that's the... true does that make sense it's the actual it does make sense yeah it's the spirit of it were there any points where you're like reading this going there's there's not a word for that so you've almost because there's the reason i mention this is because i'm a huge fan of dante's inferno right uh-huh. And the big mistake I made was I found one translation, which I loved, but I could never find the subsequent parts of it in the same translation. Oh, no. And it was just flat compared to what I yeah. had before. Are there sort of specific words where you're like, I can't get that into English, so I've got to use an approximation? Are there ever things that pop up like that for you quite regularly as a translator? There are, there absolutely are. And I was, I've been thinking about it recently and trying to find ways that take my readers more seriously okay in dealing with that rather than kind of rewriting it or adding in an explanation or making it all clunky like that i've started to feel more comfortable with leaving things in german which um there's a fair amount of german still in my english translation of magimanus yes because of those moments when non-german speakers are confronted with german speakers and are hearing a a language that they don't necessarily understand yet in the early days. And I, I'm trying now to challenge my readers a little bit and say, okay, this is a really, really German thing. We don't have a word for it. I'm just going to leave the German word. I'll create the context around it. I mean, it's funny because I yeah. write um, children's books. And one thing I often do with a children's book is if there's a, like a long word... I have the long word there and then I have a sentence after the long word which explains the context for the sentence. Yes. So I don't know if well, it's a similar thing for translation if you kind it's of like... It's very similar. Yeah, yeah, maybe a similar thing. So Katie, the thing that struck me about this book um, in amongst you know, the brilliant artwork and the stark feel, there's two things that really got me the mood shift after the wall comes down. The mood shift, which is what I've heard from so many people that describe Germany in the early 90s, East Germany, the racism the surge of neo-nazism it's just every story it comes up and the one scene in particular where one of the characters is told no longer to play with the girl because the father is racist it just blew me away that was so harrowing because you're like you know if you're not black that relationship carries on in uninterrupted 
you might end up going around to the girl's place for dinner and meeting the parents and the whole new branch of friendship carries on and that's the that the horror of racism is that it it amputates that branch it never allows that branch to grow that's the devastating thing so these lovely people that have come over don't get a chance to live and love like white people do were there any points in the book in terms of the translation that struck you that stuck out you're like my god this is particularly striking there's a letter that one of the characters receives from a relative in Mozambique while she's in East Germany um mm. which is uh very very upsetting um and that was um yeah it was very difficult to translate involving the family member yeah oh my goodness yeah, it was yeah. it was it was hard to translate and then because it's a it's a, almost a a new voice in the in the right. narrative so we have Burgett's voice as a kind of narrator and then we've got these three different characters and then comes this one off new voice um yeah so that was that was tricky and and often I find one of the the hardest things about translating is having to keep a clear head while you're really emotional <laughs> uh yes so that was yes and and what we also had to do with that letter was because it's handwritten in the comic we we also um asked Birgit to rewrite it in English which was I'm sure also difficult for her um yeah right right so that's her literally her hand hand writing in that uh, <laughs> that letter yeah I was going to say this is um maybe it's a strange word to use but there's something quite brave about translation at times I feel like that felt like note taking in a police interview mm. where you're hearing all the details of a certain thing and you're like you just got to get it all down yeah. and that scene in particular the one that you describe without giving that away we all know about how that happens at scale we all know about the particular incident described but seeing an individual instance yeah. of it seeing an individual instance and a story and the narrative of this again someone who was very much trapped by history and trapped by the um trapped by the events of the time and there was no way out for yeah. that individual it's yeah it's utterly harrowing and it's there are many scenes in the book that blew me away but that yeah. one in particular i would share that talking of capturing voice what challenges did you face in capturing the individual voices in this book because there are, there are kind of four voices there's the three main characters and the narrator on top so what did you do to kind of get right. those voices right individually i think it was a question of knowing the characters so okay uh their stories sort of interweave a little bit but it's like writing or translating dialogue they all have to sound different and they all have to have their own little individual quirks of you know the way they speak here um yeah yeah of course yeah quite literally yeah. the way they speak and their speech bubbles and i i think i often kind of draw on real people who i've known yeah. actually over the years so uh the voice that i found for one of the characters is very much based on on um somebody i knew uh when i was an exchange student um <laughs> who uh who really enjoyed life um let's say huh, and yeah. uh yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot of enjoyment going on here as well, isn't there? There's a lot of enjoyment. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the funny thing. So with the um with the book, there are so many challenges, and I suppose the main one is the main one is racism. But there's also the issue with the corruption of the government back home in terms of the money they're yeah. earning. There's a challenge, but but within this book, the thing that sustains them, that keeps them going, is there is a lot of joy. There's community. There's music. There's a sense of enterprise. How did you manage to capture that, the musicality of those sections, the language? 
How did you lean into that joy when trying to set it against some of the stark backdrop? I mean, some of the work is done by Birgit's art. Yeah. Because she has all these, I'm thinking, for example, of, of kind of record covers that she puts in. East Germany had its own um, record company that put out its own versions of Western albums. There's like some... There's a weird Michael Jackson album in there. And, uh, <laughs> oh <God>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so some of that's in there, you know. But yeah, I just, I think I kind of listen to myself as I'm translating. I don't say it out loud, but i am got a little audio track going in my head and uh, it doesn't turn off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Katie, that's, uh, yeah, that's been an absolute joy. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving us a window into a world that I certainly am not that aware of. Um, and that has its own incredible level of technical expertise. And yeah, best of luck with this book. I suppose one last question is, where do you hope this book to go and what do you hope to achieve with it? I want a lot of people to read this book. I want them to become aware, not only of Birgit's incredible talent, but also of the Magyamanis themselves. I want it to help them to campaign for justice and to get their money um and yes that will i think it will help and i'm having spoken to to one of them i think he's hopeful too so let's see what happens fingers crossed for them thank you so much katie it's been an absolute pleasure thank you you can find Majamanas at your local independent bookshop and via our website vq-books.eu where you can also find other episodes of the Voices and Queries podcast talking about other wonderful German books in translation. Look us up at your favourite purveyor of podcasts and check us out on social media. Our handle is VQBooks because you can't do an ampersand on social media. Thank you so much to Musa Okwanga for today's conversation and to our podcast producer Susan Stone and of course to Andy Sire for our cool theme tune. And in case you haven't heard it yet, our previous episode features me and the writer and illustrator Birgit Bayer in conversation. Thank you for listening. I'm Katie Derbyshire. This podcast was co-funded by the European Union's Creative Europe Project. <laughs>